Welcome to the Truth CSGO podcast, episode four. Today, I'm going to be chatting about ESL1 Cologne. I'm going to be talking a little bit about gambling and sponsorship in CSGO. And finally, and finally, I'll be talking about cheating in the pro scene, whether that's actually a thing and whether it's even viable to ask that question. So first up, we're going to talk about ESL1 Cologne, and uh, I have to say I really enjoyed this competition. It was quite difficult for me living in Australia to watch it all, but I powered through most of it, which meant I went to bed at 4am most mornings. But as is becoming a habit now, I'm just going to tell you a little bit about ESL1 Cologne, what it means in terms of the scene. I think this podcast is going to start focusing a little bit more on the idea of if you don't know too much about Counter-Strike, uh, this is a good place to start. If you're playing matchmaking and you're trying to get better, this is a good place to start. So that said, ESL One Cologne, it's been around since 2014. It's owned by the Electronic Sports League based in Cologne, which, like DreamHack, is mostly owned by a Swedish group called Modern Times Group. Last year, ESL One Cologne was won by SK uh, with a final between SK and Liquid. And last year was actually counted as a major. As we spoke about last week, major is a grand final uh, or a comp- competition, sorry, that, that Valve sponsors. For some reason, this year wasn't a major. I couldn't actually ascertain why. I did a bit of uh, Google sleuthing. I, I never sort of found a sort of official announcement or a reason given as to why. Anyway, 2015, uh, ESO1 Cologne was won by Fnatic, who beat Envious in the final. And 2014 was won by Ninjas in Pajamas, who beat Fnatic. So first up, we talked a little bit about Freiburg and how he was joining the analyst desk. Um, and I was a little bit worried that he would be a bit stilted. And he kind of was a little bit, but also I really enjoyed seeing him on the desk. He's so good-natured. He's not trying to be as clever or as witty as the others. I think he was usually with um, Sponge and Machine or he was with Yanko and Machine. I really enjoyed him on the desk. I really enjoyed someone who had recently played many of the teams that they were going to be playing either before or after they were at the desk. So that was an interesting insight. Uh, it's nice to see that Sponge is relaxing and sort of coming into his own. Uh, like me, I think he tends to speak a bit fast and hopefully as he gets more uh, used to being on the desk, he'll slow down. Hopefully as I get used to these podcasts, I'll slow down a bit too. But the most positive thing about that is that he's not actively putting himself down, which is really nice to see because I think the first few or several times I saw him doing, you know, larger events, he was a bit negative in a sort of, it was directed towards himself. And it's great to see that he's becoming more comfortable with the idea of being the face of some of these bigger tournaments. So I think the best way to go through this tournament is to look at the different teams one by one. The most value I think we can get out of this is to have a look at what uh, some of the some of the plays that might be really interesting to look at if you didn't watch all the finals and especially the plays that might be interesting to look at if you're trying to become a better player because if if that's your goal and you're trying to rank up like me, um, then you might appreciate having some moments in this tournament that I think are sort of next level ideas. Anyway, so Virtus Pro we'll start off with because they were knocked out quite quickly. 
Now, Taz had said publicly that they'd come back with some new tactics. They had a new in-game leader, that's Snacks. And in their first match against Immortals, uh, which is on Cobblestone, all they showed to us that was really new was one execute onto the B-site. And it was really exciting. It was a really fun moment because... And the casters felt this too because they suddenly pulled out this sort of smoke setup which really reminded me of NIP smokes actually because they're executed from before you enter the castle essentially from the B spawn and it makes a ring around the inside of the B spawn around fountain but instead of actually using those smokes to block the players and then go through connector to A they went outside of the smokes and then all pushed in through the smokes to sort of pincer the players inside the smokes on site. That was really exciting, but everything else basically was business as usual. And my heart fell. I'm a huge VP fan. I've said it on this podcast before. And the moment Snacks went along with a Mag 7, I thought, no, no, these guys have not done enough to create a whole new set of tactics and play style. Snacks going to long A on the CC side with a mag 7 has undoubtedly produced some of the most exciting plays we've ever seen on Cobblestone. But that is almost a meme at this point. He's, He's sort of that good at it. Why would you keep doing that? Surely any team, surely even the lowest of low teams or surely even the biggest of big teams who haven't had time to watch any of your latest or don't, don't think they need to watch any of your latest demos know that Snacks is going to be at A-Long with a Mag 7. And Immortals knew this. And I don't think he got one kill with the Mag 7 at Long A despite going there quite a few times. Now, he did have an okay hold a couple of times with the AWP, but more often than not, he was Long A with the AWP or mid by himself and got swarmed. So they lost that map 16-2 and it was kind of like the clash for cash in that the narrative that VP will suddenly pop out with an amazing performance is such a seductive one because they've been around so long. But when it doesn't happen, the whole event has a sort of a flat feeling. Now the next matchup for them was versus Heroic. And I have to say, they... VP just seems sort of mentally broken by the start. In in the footage uh, of the actual tournament, the players are in a circle at the start, arms around each other, and Bialy needs to be called in by Taz. Like, he's not even participating in it. Taz has to kind of call him over and be like, come on, mate. Uh, and during the game, he wasn't getting any fist bumps from Neo. I think there's actually a bit of a... Like, if there's if there's an issue in the team... It's got to be from that. It's got to be from that angle. I don't know if any of you watched the ma- the soccer match between uh, Virtus Pro and SK. Bialy wasn't even there. He 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 just did not even show. And there was a there was even a player on the field who was from the Virtus Pro League of Legends team. I think his name was Paranoia. And Bialy, you know, didn't even he wasn't even sitting in the stands. So much has been made about Pash's tweet after this tournament when they got knocked out that the lineup, you know, is in danger and if they stay together, it'll be a miracle. I think that Bialy may do a Freiburg on us if they don't make this major, if they don't go anywhere in this major. The, the other issue is that 
obviously, Pasha was yawning his face off. They're, they're all sleep-deprived. And of course they are. They've got, they've got kids now. Pasha's got two. In the soccer game, Pasha looked more tired than the SK boys who'd been up probably all night partying because they'd just won the, you know, the ESL 1 Cologne. So, look, if these guys make it through the major and are still together, that would, look, I would love to see that happen. I, I, I never want them to break up. Uh, even if they keep losing, I will still go and watch them. But uh, Virtus Pro is a business and businesses are supposed to make money and I'm sure they'll be looking at, at whatever cracks are in the game and my money is on Bialy being that mental that mental crack. Anyway, let's talk about NIP now, NIP, Ninjas in Pajamas. They beat G2 on cash, which was one of their most exciting victories. They played three games on cash, won them all in a row. Uh, of course, they got the new players, Rez and Draken, who supposedly were looking amazing. I didn't think they looked that great. I felt like Ninjas in Pajamas just played some kind of uh, lackluster opponents, to be honest. I don't think uh, G2 really came together at all. I wasn't that impressed with Rez's high, you know, the kills he actually got didn't seem that impressive. He did some some cool stuff with the USP, unsilenced, which was kind of weird. But other than that, I was like, yeah, uh, even though they won, I kind of wasn't convinced. Now, on a larger note, Ninjas in Pajamas have suffered through... Uh, what I think pertains to a little theory of mine. The theory is that when you are told that you are really great, that you as a player and as a person are really great, regardless of sort of what you do play-by-play or day-to-day, you're in danger of freezing up and getting scared so that you don't make someone disappointed in you. And the Ninjas in Pajamas thing really reminds me of these three sisters called the Polgar sisters. They were, they were part of a Hungarian family. And the three sisters became three of the most successful chess champions of all time. Um, one of the sisters became the greatest female chess player of all time. And basically it's because the father wanted to create this family of geniuses. It was part of like a an experiment, a social experiment that he did with his family. And I remember reading an interview with him uh, several years ago where he said his, his main strategy in raising these girls and keeping them healthy at the same time and emotionally, you know, stable, was never actually praising the girls themselves, never locking them into this idea that they were special or they were talented. He took the focus completely off what was innate in them and he just praised what they did. So he never praised them, he just praised what they did. And it meant that the girls were never in danger of letting him down. When someone tells you that you're really great and then you lose a game in chess or Counter-Strike, then you assume that you're suddenly not great. And so your self-image is being controlled by someone else in a way. You give, it, you, give it over, you give the power over to them. And this has been backed up by a professor in Stanford. I'm actually, I should have uh, Googled her name before I thought of this. I think her name was Carolyn something rather. But she did an experiment where kids were told this sort of a thing and uh, let me just have a look at it. I'll find it. So I'm quoting here from the online version of Psychology Today. Carol Dweck, professor of psychology at Stanford University, has found that people's beliefs about their abilities greatly influence their performance. 
When she praised children's intelligence after they succeeded at a non-verbal IQ test, they subsequently didn't want to take on a new challenge. They preferred to keep looking smart. When they were forced to complete a more difficult exercise, their performance plummeted. In contrast, some children were praised for how they did a task for undergoing the process successfully. Most of the children in this group wanted to take on a tougher assignment afterward. Their performance improved for the most part, and when it didn't, they still enjoyed the experience. Now, end quote, essentially. So, doesn't this remind you kind of of the stall in skill of NIP, of the stall in sort of play style of tactics? Those guys were champions of the world. They had everyone calling them gods. They were sort of revered as this unbeatable, amazing, you know, playmaking team. And perhaps their issue was that they were kind of scared that if they tried anything new, they would really screw things up. Um, I feel like Fnatic have been somewhat in that same slump. And I'm going to be really interested as as Counter-Strike, as I follow the scene for the next few years, as to whether these guys will get over their slumps. They were so young uh, when they were called champions and gods and beasts that it may be very difficult for them to be open again to learning new things and learning new ways and finding new ways of doing things and finding new processes. Uh, as I mentioned with VP, that you know how they were talking about they had all these new tactics and new play styles and yet in cobblestone i really didn't see any of it except for one play it could be that they've convinced themselves they genuinely have convinced themselves and it's not taz just talking a bit of pre-game banter that it could be that they genuinely have convinced themselves that they have done something new that they are considering new ways of playing and the truth may not actually be the case anyway back to nip uh I think an interesting round to watch is NIP versus Cloud9 for this for this tournament because in round 21, check it out, two of the T side just bought Tech Nines. This is this is uh, NIP, and two of them had AKs and one had one had a sniper. Now we're seeing this sort of a buy a lot in recent tournaments. I actually just saw it in the Envious versus uh, KPI game with DreamHack Valencia. And this really reminds me of the weapons expert meta that I was talking about, I think, in my first episode, where if you send two people to one bomb site and make sure that one of them has a rifle and the other one can pick up the rifle if they fall, you're essentially not having to buy two rifles in the buy round at all. Um, and I think it's a really interesting way of preserving a sort of an ongoing economy because if the round before has been a sort of a semi-force from two players, then you've at least got a chance to knock out sort of a half-buy from the CTs. Let's say the CTs are probably on some thumb asses, some umps, and you have two rifles. In a way, if that's all you've got, you still have a sort of a firepower advantage because you can get the headshot so much quicker with an AK versus, say, an ump or a FAMAS or even an MP9. So it'll be very interesting to see if this meta creeps any further than we've seen it thus far. Let's move right on and talk about Cloud9. Now, Cloud9, I didn't really have much knowledge of them as a team. I didn't have a huge amount of respect for them because of that. I'm not someone who watches Twitches religiously. I don't really find them that entertaining to watch. Uh, I don't see what the hype about some of the Twitch stars 
is some of them are, uh, seem kind of obnoxious to me, but uh, Cloud9 were really entertaining to watch. I have to say, it was part of the joy of this tournament for me was kind of discovering them. Um, and if you're interested in revisiting this and didn't quite get to see any of the matches and you're not watched, quite sure where to start, but you want to watch some, uh, you want to watch some. I would start with the overpass map where Cloud9 played Navi because that was one of the most exciting maps I've seen in a long time. Uh, and it wasn't even the final. It was a semi-final, but it features some amazing plays. In particular, I would, I would seek out uh, round 21, shrouded in amazing clutch. And I would also seek out a, a ninja that Guardian did when Navi were down 13 to 15. Just straight in the smoke, A-bomb sight. Uh, totally gutsy and there were three players left and none of them managed to shoot him through smoke that was gorgeous and the last player which really kind of capped off the excitement was Nothing who won by sneaking up behind Guardian in a 1v1 and he immediately took off his shirt which was great and I've actually warmed to Nothing I have to say I wasn't that enamored by the dude I'd seen a few things where he was kind of acting the clown and I just thought okay he's got a bit of a you know, he's a bit attention-seeking. But I have since watched some of his vlogs and actually his post-match and pre-match commentary uh, and interviews in this series in ESL1 Cologne were great. He had he had charm, he had charisma, he wasn't awkward, he always had an answer for the interviewer. I think it was Stunner more often than not. And that sort of a confidence is what's going to bring more people to CSGO, I think. I don't think an interview with some of these dudes is doing any favours for the scene, but nothing for sure. What, a, what an ambassador. So um, I'm, I'm going to be watching Cloud9 a lot more now. I think this tournament really did them a lot of favours and they put up some great plays against SK in the grand final. There's particularly an eco round on Train 8 and Train... On train. There's an eco round on train, on round eight, map eight. No, the map is train, <laughs> the round is eight, and it's an eco round. An automatic goes into the A-bomb site and gets three one digs, and Skadoodle finishes off the last two with his Glock. And I, I, from memory, I think SK had completely bought up. It's pretty amazing, considering SK's form on train, which I, th- I think they're supposed to be the best in the world, they're... They're pretty amazing on it, especially Fallen with his orb. There's also a, a, an ace on Cobblestone from Stewie2k, which I would say is worth watching, especially if you're the kind of player who is not good at holding sites or your team aren't great at holding sites. Because while they've got a fair few smokes that they put down, uh, Stewie's positioning during this hold of the site and the way he's firing through smokes and tapping through smokes and the way he deals with the final two players that he's left with in a 1v2 one, one is just so brilliantly moderate. He doesn't force anything. He doesn't push anything. He also doesn't back off too much. He's always watching and always slightly peeking. I would say give that a watch. It's, a, it's just a great lesson in defense. Uh, let's move on to FaZe, who, as you may know, is one of my favorite teams, <clears throat> but uh, continually sort of disappointing me. They didn't really live up to the hype train once again. And actually, thinking about the hype train, I think they were actually hurt a bit by their own hype train. And 
for an example, I would give you the map where they played SK on Overpass. I think it's the first map um, they played SK in this tournament. And you see that they r- basically rush A and Nico's going first and he and he's, he's running with sort of boundless confidence but the team hasn't even caught up to him. And he gets put down and because of that momentum, the whole sort of thing crumbles. And there's a few rounds at the beginning of this map where he seems to be exhibiting that sort of boundless confidence and just going for these crazy plays. And he gets shut down because SK is so tight in their defense. And it's almost as if he's listened to the casters too much and the analysts too much going, you know, Nico's the star Nico's the star player. When's he going to be unleashed? You know, why don't they unleash Nico? When they unleash Nico, that's when they win. You know, when Nico shows up, that's when they win. It was only Nico coming to the, ta- the team when the phase started to win. And uh, you, it, I feel like it was noticeable that because he had this sort of optimism about his own play, he really started to suffer mentally going into the rest of these maps as they started losing them. And... Uh, what I think it points to is the fact that Carrigan is not the leader we think he is, and it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't give me any joy to say this because I think he's one of the greatest personalities in the sport. But what it appears to me to be the case is that Carrigan is a really buoyant captain. He keeps people's spirits up above a level that's just okay. The problem is he's not calm and he's not confident enough to keep their spirits level when they're really losing to bring them up when they're already down. Um, and because of this, I'm starting to feel like the phase experiment might not be a total success, that, that, that like they just don't have that in the tank. It's not that they haven't evolved enough yet, it's that they're not evolving in the right way. Uh, apart from that, I think Aloe is, is, is just too up and down as well. I think his movement is just kind of atrocious and his positioning is not great. He just doesn't seem aware. When he's in a good position, then he kills it, you know. He's a, he's a great f- flick shotter. I just don't think he's as mobile as he needs to be, especially against a team like SK who are doing so many mid-round calls and changes. Actually, I think he could learn a lot from his teammate Kiyoshima, or Kiyoshima, how your buddy say it, uh, whose movement is just... I think he's got the best movement in the game. And if you want a great example of his movement, I would watch the train map where he's defending the B-bomb site. I forget who he's playing now, but FaZe was playing on the train map. Kiyoshima is basically holding the B-site by himself and he's hopping across the trains and he's not—he's barely even looking at the train he's jumping to. Uh, it's probably the smoothest movement I've ever seen of a Counter-Strike player. There's a particular match in the IEM Sydney showdown between SK and FaZe, the grand final, where they were playing on train and Keo found himself in a 1v2 and I think SK from memory had planted the bomb and had gone over to the other side of the train, the bomb train on the A site. Keo was coming in from B through connector and he does this amazing jump over the bomb train and frags both of them at once in a very quick, smooth motion. It was probably my favorite moment of the entire tournament. I would check that out if you're interested in seeing what I'm talking about or else just look at his demos on train for movement inspiration because the guy, I don't think anyone moves better than him. So once again, just to reiterate, when FaZe congealed, they did well in this tournament, but I just think they don't have that emotional core or at least the same emotional core that SK does, that SK has. And, and look, we know that Astralis has that 
too. And uh, so I'm not, I'm not, I'm not hopeful about, or I'm not, I'm not confident about their chances in the major coming up. I'm hopeful. Uh, I'm very hopeful, but I'm not confident. Finally, we can talk about SK, who are the major champions. I think a lot. So much is said about SK that I'm not going to say too much about them. Their team cohesion is just as good as it was for the last few months uh, when they've been winning all these tournaments. Personally, I don't see all the fuss about Cold Zero. I, yeah, okay, maybe stats tell the story, but I actually think Fallen is much more impressive in the shots that he makes. Cold sort of tends to be set up, in my opinion. Maybe I'm missing plays, but Fallen is 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 more of a playmaker, in 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 as far as I can tell, than than Cold who seems to really benefit from having the solid team around him where Fallen will will lead that team almost like a... If you think about a school of fish, he's the fish that that, that changes direction and, and all of them change around him. Um, and just on Fallen, if you notice even in the veto, we had a bit of footage of the veto of the grand final where Fallen was flipping a coin or whatever it is, choosing the maps with Stewie. And the dude's basically the alpha male before the match has begun. It's like a man and a boy, Fallen and Stewie 2K. He even pulls him in Trump style when they shake hands at the end. You know, Fallen's like making jokes, just being a boss, and Stewie's looking nervous as all hell. And uh, this is more evidence that Fallen is basically the king of CSGO right now. It reminded me of um, when you hear about Mike Tyson talking about uh, pre-match sort of tactics his psychological advantage before a match, he said, was the key to his victory, where he would go into the ring and not drop eye contact with the person he was fighting with. And in his mind, he was saying, you are nothing. I've already beaten you. I've already beaten you. That was what his mental voice was saying. And the other person would slowly um, <clears throat> you know, feel the pressure and they would try and maintain eye contact. But then Tyson would say there was always a moment when they looked away and that was when he knew he was going to beat them. And beat them badly. And uh, I don't know if Fallen's really that playing that sort of a game, but he's definitely got the edge psychologically. And you, I feel like you could look at that veto footage and 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 really not give Cloud9 a chance of winning it at all. Uh, especially considering that Stewie 2K is the captain of that team. Um, I think the highlights of the SK games. Basically, uh, once again with Fallen, no one really has the consistently good calls that he has. I think probably the best round you could watch, if you didn't want to watch at all, is the final round of Train. Let me set the scene. SK are on the T side. Cloud9 have the rifles. I think they've got a couple of FAMASs, but other than that, they've got uh, maybe two M4s and one UMP. they got way more utility than SK. SK, on the other hand have an AWP that's in the hands of Fallen. They've got two two Tech 9s and a Deagle. Cold Zero's got a Deagle. And they've got one AK. So it starts with Fallen and one of his teammates, I couldn't really work out who it was, taking the bomb and going to Pop Dog. Fallen's got the AWP, remember. It immediately gets smoked out before he's even spotted by Cloud9. Instead of just running back, Fallen throws out his own smoke a little bit further than the smoke that Cloud9 threw. Almost to say, yeah, we're here. Keep your attention here. Then he goes back up the ladder with the guy who's got the bomb, wraps back around to A-Main. And the other guys who've been sitting in Ivy, so there's been two in Ivy and one in A-Main, 
start to push out and they all push at the same time from A main and Ivy. For some reason, Cloud9 are playing way back onto site and have focused two of their players on A main and one of them on Ivy. And the way the push from A main takes place is kind of amazing because the two guys with Tech Nines run out, the two, nines, the two guys with pistols run out. And while they're distracting the CTs, and as the CTs are being flushed out by them, Fallen picks them all off with an orb one by one. It's such a brilliantly simple strategy and take of the bomb side that the round's over, you know, within, I think it's like 15, 20 seconds of that actual push. So I'd recommend having a look at that if you've got a team and you're working out strats. Just check those guys out, especially on that map because they're so good at it. Um, the other interesting round, I think, for SK was Inferno on the fourth round eco. Unlike a lot of other teams who really just kind of go all over the map in these ecos and split up and try to get picks, these guys were glued together in a way that you never really see with other teams, um, except kind of Astralis. But watching them move, even on the minimap, is like watching a Hydra, this sort of multi-headed thing. Finally, I would say that if you're an MM player, if you're a matchmaking player, if you're trying to rank up and you're not quite sure why you're not getting any better, if you're, say, stuck around MG and you want to increase your movement ability, I would watch demos from Fur. He's been getting a lot of attention from the casters and the analysts recently, but no one ever really says why he's that good. This is why I think he's really good. Fur is a master of changing where he is. Now, everyone on SK basically changes where they are all the time, from round to round. So you never where, you never really know where a particular player is going to be. But Fur is the one who's really playing his own game the whole time, which means that he's pushing a different place almost every round and he gets a kill and then immediately backs off. Now, it doesn't mean he goes somewhere else necessarily, but he'll back off and then maybe push again after a while. And what that does is is fool the other team with the theory of inertia, right? We assume that if there's a play that's made, then someone will push that spot. So we get ready and we get tense and we hold an angle to shoot that person. And then there's a period of time shortly after that where we get into a very slight hypnosis where what we expected to happen doesn't happen. And in that particular time, we're vulnerable and we're off guard. So when he's waited just that extra bit, He's got the advantage. I would watch him because he does it so often, especially in this Inferno map that I mentioned uh, around the apps area because backing off in apps is so easy and uh, and it's easy to recognize how he's doing it. So that's it for Cologne. Uh, actually, I think cause I've, uh, this, is, this podcast has gone for about half an hour already. I think I might save the gambling and cheating stuff for the next episode, which should come out a little quicker than the last one because I've got all that stuff prepared and so it should be easier to roll out. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Next week, we will be doing cheating and gambling and uh, in the meantime, if you have any anything to say or you'd like to, any, like to give me any input or feedback, that would be really appreciated. My email is thetruthcsgopodcast at gmail.com. It's all one word, thetruthcsgopodcast and I'm on Twitter at truthcsgopodcast. Thank you very much for listening and I will see you next time.